0: Welcome to season two of The Morning Glory Project. I'm your host, Betsy graziani Fosbender, And on this podcast, I bring to you guests of a lot of different kinds, survivors and thrivers, innovators and trailblazers, folks that have fallen down and gotten back up, folks that have been knocked down and gotten back up. Basically, I ask every single guest the same question. How did you get through what you got through? And the reason I ask that is because I think that when we share those stories, we gain empathy for those different than ourselves. We gain understanding from those whose circumstances may resemble our own. But we all get to walk away with a little notion of how we might get through whatever we're going through. I hope you enjoyed these stories and feel free to go to themorninggloryproject.com to find any past episodes or to listen to one again. And feel free to share us out with your friends and give us a review or a like. We sure do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Just one tiny little update on Lisa Luca's conversation with me in this recording. When we chatted, she had a working title for her memoir that was soon to be published and it has since changed. So we want to make sure that you know, the actual title of her book as published and it is being called ashes to ink, a memoir. It's got a beautiful cover too. So you can check us out on the website, themorninggloryproject.com to learn all about that. But just so that you won't be misguided when we talk about a book of a different title. It is my pleasure today to welcome to The Morning Glory Project, Lisa Luca. Lisa was enjoying what anybody might call an idyllic 1970s Midwestern family life. But when she was an adolescent, the image of that ideal was shattered when she learned that her father was gay. Beginning a long journey from confusion and shame to acceptance, Lisa shares this experience in her work as a life coach and with listeners on her weekly radio show, Live True. Lisa has contributed to several anthologies, including Crone Rising. She is the co-author of an epistolary memoir, You Are Loved, with her partner Mark, and was a BlogHer voice of the year honoree. Lisa has just completed a memoir, Out of the Ordinary, which chronicles her complicated relationship with her father and her search for love with a wounded heart. Lisa, with your wounded heart, I'm so glad you're here on the Morning Glory Project. Welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Betsy. It's so great to be here. And and my heart is is much healed, by the way.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Well, wounded, not not busted,
1: right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like kintsugi, you know, that Japanese art form of making uh, something beautiful out of broken pieces that have been fused together.
0: Pretty nice. Pretty nice. So Lisa, tell me about this idyllic Midwestern family life in the 70s. Tell me a bit about that.
1: So actually, um, it was more. Uh, I was I was born in 1960s. So it was you know the the mid to late 60s. We lived in suburban uh, Chicago area, and um, my parents got married very young. They were 20 and 21. At when they had me. And, you know, my dad went off to work in the brand new world of computers. My mom was home with me and my little sister. You know, we played outside under the shadow of planes going in and out of O'Hare. And, you know, it was very much the Kool-Aid life, you know, and we were happy. My parents really enjoyed one another. There wasn't fighting in my home. It was a very, sweet childhood. And I adored my daddy. He was a hero. He was handsome and, you know, came home in a shirt and tie every day and played with us on the floor. And, you know, my mom was in the kitchen cooking and, you know, doing laundry. And she was American housewife of the 1960s.
0: Kind of the traditional
1: American
0: leave it to be ish looking. Very much so. So then you're an adolescent. And tell me the, the events that ensued that where your dad revealed
1: his reality. So when I was 10, my parents separated for a year and I was bereft, didn't really understand why there was no external reason that we could understand as to why dad didn't live with us anymore. And what I didn't know was that, um, my father, uh, had struck up a relationship with a man at work and there had been a revelation about homosexual tendencies to my mother. And she asked him to leave. And during that year, uh, she was instructed by men, therapists and priests, people who told her that she should save her marriage, no matter what, she should lose a bunch of weight because then he would come back. All these men instructed her to change herself for this man to come back. And he did. And uh, three years later, Um, we had been living in a beautiful home in Oak Park. And again, my parents got along beautifully and they sat us down and said that they were getting divorced. And it was within about six months that I observed my father having this guy in his life who was sort of his best friend who was very young compared to him, Young meaning he was 23 to my father's 35. (laughs) And I was 13 and I... I realized mom had started dating and dad didn't have a girlfriend. And what is that? What is up with that? And I, I'm not even sure what I knew about being gay at the time. I think just references on all in the family and Mary Tyler Moore, you know, is very just cultural in which you could learn that because no one spoke about it. And certainly not in front of the children. And I asked my mother on the phone uh, after a conversation with my dad in which I asked him if he had a girlfriend and he said it didn't fit in with his lifestyle and I I just asked her if he liked guys that way and she said yes and it just shattered everything for me mostly because in my mind then everything had been a lie and a betrayal.
0: There's two things that come to mind about this. And one is, of course, that it was a different time. It was 1970. It was not 2021, Mm -mm. (laughs) where, you know, there are gay people in commercials and on talk shows and all kinds of other places where we see them. And it's not a, it's not as hidden a thing in most communities. Let me say, of course, there are still people that feel the need to be in the closet, the need to not be public about their sexuality for lots of good reasons. But it is much more conspicuous today, right, and much more accepted today. So there's that. But then there's also the kind of – it, it interests me, Lisa, because your talk show called Live True is revealing because here you are. It's like, oh, if you lied about that, then – it puts everything else into question. Mm-hmm. Everything, right? Do you still believe that that's the case? Do you still believe, regarding your dad at that time, that that particular not telling the truth thing made him not a truth teller?
1: That's a that's a really good question. Uh, I can look back on through a couple of lenses. So the 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 girl who was so disappointed in a father who punished us more for lying than the thing that we were trying to hide Mm -hmm. still believes that he was duplicitous and therefore insincere. Right. And then there's the part of me that goes, okay, well, here's what the norms were. Here's what the times were. He coped the way he could and knew how, and he was incapable of coming out and living a true life at that time in the way that he wanted to live his life, which was to be a professional and to, you know, go within the societal norms, which was to get married and have a family. So, so to your point, I, I, I can see it both ways, but there is still that part of me that really resented how the lie impacted all of us.
0: Okay. So, so then that's more like the kid part of you in a way, like yes. you know, dad's choice meant that we didn't have this idyllic family anymore. We didn't have the Kool-Aid house. <laughs> we didn't have that kind of leave it to beaver reality. So there's that. If It's just, an, it's an interesting thing because in talking with a lot of uh, friends and loved ones and clients over the years who have been closeted and have come out or have been hesitant to do so, their own agony about the lie is what eventually put pushes a lot of them out of the closet because they, they are by nature honest people forced to be dishonest.
1: Mm-hmm. Does that feel true for your dad? Very much so in some ways, uh, especially since he really... Wanted a family, and he, he was he was a very smart man. He was a genius, very smart man, and he knew what he needed to do to have those things. I think that was part of it. It was never meant to be in malice. He loved my mother till the day he died, and they remained best friends. So their relationship was not a lie. It felt that way to me. There was a, a moment in my early 20s when I had left The family and moved to San Francisco. And that was another coping mechanism for me was to just get away from all of them as early as I could. And he ended up moving out to San Francisco after a visit and meeting some guy for a weekend. And then he was moving in. And the conversation. So, so wait, we- wait, 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 wait. So you escaped to San
0: Francisco, <laughs> of all places for you to pick when you have a gay dad. First of all, let's just yeah. there's something a little right. funny about that. So you escaped to San Francisco to kind of get away from the family, and then your dad comes for a visit and falls falls for somebody here and moves here, and so the very thing that you were moving away from came to greet you.
1: Correct. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> there's something you oddly funny about be. that. Whoever I want to be, and now I'm. Th- there with my gay dad, you know, having brunch in the Castro at cafe floor, you know, I mean, it was just bizarre. And, and the, the, the thing that was so startling for me was because at that time at 23 years old or whatever I was, I was now really looking at it through my mother's eyes and looking at here was this 19 year old virgin who married this guy. And then he compromised her sexuality, in my opinion, by, by marrying her and she didn't know any better. And then, you know, she ends up being a 31 year old divorcee with a brand new life dating for essentially the first time they met in high school. So I had all these different angers that were from different perspectives, right? Some was my anger on behalf of my mother, who didn't seem angry enough, in my opinion, because they were best friends to them, their relationship and their deep friendship Um, is really, truly a beautiful love story. I can see that today. But at the time, all I saw was that dad was being selfish and self-serving In I'll do this when I want and then I'll leave and do that and everybody can just deal with the carnage. Um, What I didn't realize is that my father was inherently fairly narcissistic and that a lot of our problems over the years really stem from that more than it had anything to do with his sexuality.
0: So so there's multiple layers here because on one hand, let's just pretend for a second that your dad didn't have this narcissistic edge, right? Right. Yeah. That you were fairly unmerciful toward his, you kind of saw it as a selfish thing he did
1: mm-hmm. as opposed
0: to, oh my gosh, he was suffering in a closet in you know, pushed himself in there, but was suffering there and needed to live his genuine life. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's just always strikes me that there, it, so few things are black and white, right? So few things are black and white. So on one hand, I'm sure that he deserves deserved then and deserves in perpetuity to live the life of his own truth. And that there was probably some agony on his part. And at the same time you're saying, in addition to that, He also had a pretty self-serving edge.
1: Sure. And and it needs to be said that during his marriage, he had an affair with another man for the 10 years. So he wasn't completely... Virtuous shifting, about. right? He wasn't shifting his attention and his affection to a woman and a family, and suppressing that part of his life. He actually had a duplicitous life, and and I didn't learn that until that dinner in San Francisco <laughs> when um, I went off the rails and and sort of let him have it after he had just moved there, and that's when he shared with me, you know, that he had had this relationship for many years with Daniel, and that. Uh, they were friends of my parents. So, so there was, there was this part of me that was furious about that lie also. And again, it was all about not being honest about who he was. Now, obviously in, in reflection, I can, I can look back and see, understand why it wasn't capable of them coming out together or, you know, it wasn't Grace and Frankie, you know, that wasn't going to happen in 1972. But, but at the same time, it was also a young woman trying to see her parents as people. And I think that's a hard part for all of us to do is to look at our parents and their choices about love and sexuality, particularly straight, gay, doesn't matter and see them as individuals separate from being our parents. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm, I'm wondering when you look back at it now with adult eyes, what was the hardest part for you as a, you know, what were the dark moments for you and how did that manifest itself in your behavior?
1: I think the darkest moments in, in, for me were the secret Right When I first learned this, it was a bad secret. It was, don't tell your little sister, don't talk about it with your friends. This this is a secret. And so then I thought it was bad because secrets must be bad. And then that meant dad was bad. right? So the hardest part for me was as a teenager and I couldn't keep quiet about it to my friends. I found my own... Uh, sort of sounding board in a a social worker who was working with the teen kids at school, you know, in the church basement after school. And um, she was the one I poured my heart out to because I think another hard part was my mother didn't want to talk about it. My mother was okay with being divorced and she was okay with staying friends with my dad. And she didn't really want it all sort of being dissected by her teenage daughter ad nauseum about dad and his boyfriend and why is this happening? And she, so it was hard for me because I didn't have anyone to really talk to about it. That was comforting me. My father, when I asked him if he was gay said yes and was on the telephone and he said, I want you to go to the library and read about homosexuality so you know that I'm normal. Mm. Now, he could have gone and got those books. He could have brought them to me. He could have come to me that night and talked to me and let me cry it out. But it was always very, again, I believe that was a very narcissistic angle to approach your 13-year-old daughter in 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 the 70s about this particular information. Because I would have been horrified to stand in front of the librarian at, and, and ask for those books, you know. So I, I think, again, it's just so important to talk about during a time when we are still looking at LGBTQ families and the challenges that they face and the rights that they're still fighting for and, and really embrace and look back at the history of how far we actually really have come.
0: As I'm listening to you, Lisa, I'm, those are the two or several balls I'm juggling in a way, because one is you are in no way judging people for being gay. You know, that's who they are and that's fine. So you're not an anti-gay individual in any way. In any way. And you're recognizing the differences of the times, 70 versus 2021, Right. And you're still saying, look, this affected a family. This affected who I was because it wasn't truth. Yeah. And it had an impact on me. And you know, I can say as a mom that I have a certain sympathy for your mom, not wanting her teenager to pass judgment on all of her choices, you know, and, and hash that out, ad nauseum. One can understand that. But at the same time, I'm sure she was in her own kind of closet.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to this day, isn't really thrilled that I like to talk about this or write about this. You know, I've gone to great lengths to protect my family and their privacy. My sister is gay also, and she's a much more private person. And so that was another layer to our family story when she came out because she was, you know, in her early 20s and it was the 90s and she wasn't hurting anyone. She was a single woman who was declaring who she is in the world. And she had some challenges with that. She had expectations in the world in which she wanted to have a family and lots of kids. And, you know, she watched how my father had had people in the family judge him or look at him differently in which it was actually harder for her to come out in the family Mm. than easier. You know, one would think, well, you know, if your dad's gay, it's easier to come out. But to her, she was able to look at it through the same lens and say, oh, wow, you know, everybody looked at him differently after that. So that's what they're going to do to me.
0: She knew the negative consequences of coming out. Right. She couldn't be, uh, what's the word, naive about that in, in a way. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you, you know, if you have surgery on one foot and the other one needs it, you know, you know, it's going to hurt. right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so she, she'd been that in a, in a way. Well, I want to, I want to bring this around, uh, Lisa to your writing in crone rising, which is an anthology and tell us a little bit about what crone rising is and, and how you were included and in, in how this connects
1: for you. Crone Rising is a, a collection of stories by women over forty, and which is which is sort of young for the crone uh, paradigm. However, that that word is is sort of having a, a new renaissance, and it's about the wisdom and creativity of older women, and that their voices are important. And when I when I saw the call for submissions, I wanted to share my story. And to put it into um, the world, and and sort of that journey from maiden to mother to crone, and my piece, which is maiden to crone, a light bearer's journey, is is really telling that story from that ten year old girl who sees dad's toothbrush gone that very first time, to to this current day when I can look back at. Our story as a family, and see it for the the journey that it was for all of us, and how everyone had to go through trials and tribulations and you know a lot of forgiveness has come over the years with my father uh it, it well before he died i forgave him for not knowing any better, for not doing better than he could in the moment. Uh, He never came back and gave me feedback on that letter I sent him. He just basically uh, ignored it and told my mother he was furious, (laughs) but he never challenged me on it, which I think was a positive step because uh, as I say in Crone Rising, you know, that letter wasn't written for him. It was written for me and my ability to forgive. It's what they so often say about
0: forgiveness, that the forgiveness is a gift you give yourself not the other person. Yeah. You you said something, Lisa, in our conversation before this one that I wrote down and it's been niggling around in my head since then. And you said that I've never been freer. And I'm wondering what you? I've, I've asked myself what that meant to you. You said I've never felt freer than I do today.
1: Well, I I, I think that uh, it's funny you mention that because I I've I've been thinking about that myself, and I I feel like I just turned sixty. My son is grown. He's in another part of the country. We're close. He's doing fine. My mom is safe. My partner and I are happy I'm writing in a way that I never have, but always imagined I would, but never really was capable of unlocking everything it took for me to do that. And I am not bound by anyone's expectations of me. And I believe that's what that freedom comes from. And motherhood was always... Kind of a double edged source for me, I was a little bit reluctant. I married someone with a couple of kids, so I felt like I wanted to be in that club. But I also felt that it was a big trade off for freedom that I wasn't sure I wanted to relinquish and so now that he's grown and he's self sufficient and and i'm I'm not bound to the worlds of corporate America or my family. I can just be myself in the world without a lot of editing and holding back.
0: Well, it's funny because I I think what you say is true that, that, you know, once your kids are grown, once you've, you know, your parents are cared for, you don't have an obligation to other people at that moment. But I also, you and I are age mates. I'm, I'm a year or so ahead of you, but I also think that there's something that comes with simply aging that. If you're, you know, that crone metaphor works for me, or that the paradigm of every year older I get, I am freer from caring about the opinions of others. Yeah, I'm freer. Does, does that feel like what you're talking about? It, it's not only freed of the obligations of roles and and all of those things, but I'm freer to say, you know, that used to matter to me, it no longer does.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. And that's, that's part of that expectations. You know, I'm not bound by another's opinion or their judgment or what they, they should on me about, you know, (laughs) I really am not. And, and I'm in a place of, of support of others in a way that I can offer it. And if it's accepted, terrific. And if it's not, that's okay, too you know, all the work and the growth and all the stuff that has come for decades of me wanting to understand not just who I am, but who I come from and how it's informed who I am is really powerful. You know, I wanted an extraordinary life. I've known that since I was a young girl and I've had a terrific, um, Really exciting life. I've toured with rock stars and I've done, you know, I've lived in lots of different places and I've seen the world and, and all of that is, is part of that. But it started with the very people I was born to. It is an extraordinary thing to be born to a couple in which one is a closeted gay person. (laughs) So again, I chose this and now I understand how it all makes sense. But, you know, to your point, with age comes wisdom.
0: I think also with age comes freedom. Totally. Maybe, maybe those two go hand in hand. So you've written a memoir out of the ordinary, which you're seeking publication for, but your other works, uh, can your world, your talk show live true can mm-hmm. be found. How, how can people find that?
1: Uh, my my show is uh, on community public radio here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and the archives and it streams live from there uh, is at lccommunityradio dot org. And uh, there's, there's actually a show with you, Betsy, in there. And um, you were a wonderful guest. And I, I love doing the show because I get to speak with people like you and uh, all kinds of interesting individuals who are living true to themselves in some way. A lot of them are writing about it. Some are, are just living it or they've got organizations or foundations or things that they are doing in the world uh, to be true to who they are.
0: Well, Lisa, it's uh, it's a fascinating conversation to to just discover how somebody gets to be to move from maiden mother to crone, and to have crone be such a positive expression and not hag, right? <laughs> it's not the the negative view of the crone, but the but the wizened woman who has emerged from where you've come. I I love that. Thank you so much for this conversation and I'll look forward to future ones as well. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Betsy. I've been thinking a lot about my conversation with Lisa Luca in the last couple of days. And a few things keep humming around in my head. (laughs) One is something that she said when she looked back at her dad's choices of departing from her mom, of making the choices they did, of of not being candid with her and truthful in the beginning. She said, I forgave him for not knowing better. And that kept sticking in my head. You know, we talk about forgiveness a lot in this program in one way or another. Lots of our folks have had wrongs done to them or traumas or losses, and they've had to look back and decide whether or not they can forgive somebody. And I like this idea of forgiving someone for not knowing better. And in Lisa's case, of course, it was her dad's sexuality being a gay man in 1970 when times were different than they are in 2021. As difficult as they are for LGBTQ folks now, we can just multiply that times in an exponential way for what it was in 1970 and further back even more so. And he made choices out of desperation or fear or confusion or whatever. And she forgave him for not knowing better. You know, so often I think that we measure the behaviors of the past by the yardstick of today. And it never seems quite fair. And sometimes we even do it to ourselves. We hold ourselves accountable for something that we did as a child when we couldn't have known better. Or as a young adult when we were impulsive and making dumb choices. I wonder if we all need to forgive ourselves for not knowing better sometimes. Then the other thing that Lisa said that stuck in my head is that she talked about the secret of it all. And how at one point when she asked, you know, is my dad gay? Are you gay? And she was told yes. But don't tell your sister that I've been thinking a lot for a long time about the difference between secrecy and privacy, because I'm a fairly private person, even though I do some things publicly, I have a memoir and I talk on this program, but I'm private about some things. And maybe that's just being a bit more of an introvert. But I have a strong sense of privacy, and I think of privacy as sovereignty over my private life, that I get to choose what I share to the world and what I don't, what's personal and private to myself or with one other person and what's not. But secrecy is a different thing. Secrecy isn't sovereignty. Secrecy is a prison. Secrecy has barbs and secrecy is usually wrapped in shame. So when Lisa was given that information, but told, don't tell your sister, She was holding that barbed thing. And it wasn't such an honor to be in the secret circle. I wonder how much of her discomfort and confusion came just from that, just from the secrecy factor of it. Necessary, though, it might have been forgivable because of the times, all of those things. And one last thing that Lisa said that really stuck in my mind was that as a young person, she said, I knew I wanted an extraordinary life. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, I've never heard somebody say that, that they looked back and and knew that about themselves at the time. Now, I'm not a young person anymore. I'm an older person. I think that puts me into the crone chronology. (laughs) And starting today, I want an extraordinary life. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be a rock star or a ballerina but I want an extraordinary life. And for me, what that means is that I want to remain curious. I want to be learning until I die. I want to be stretching and growing. I want to be developing more deeply. I want to be loving more passionately for my friends, my loved ones, my family, my partner. I want my life to be extraordinary in its richness. How about you? What do you want from your extraordinary life? It's a good question and a pretty good extra bloom if you ask me. Thanks so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project. I'm so glad to have you with me today and I hope that you are finding your extraordinary way to bloom.